I'm Dave Rubin, and according to the Wikipedia editors, this is the Rubin Report. As always, guys, make sure that you're subscribed to our channel by clicking subscribe over there and clicking that notification bell. And more importantly, joining me today is the Chief Creative Officer for Turning Point USA and meme maker extraordinaire, Benny Johnson. <laughs> Fantastic. This Perfect. feels very what overdue, man. I don't, how has this taken so long to happen? You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy. You're a busy guy going around the world, Jordan Peterson. It's like, uh, you know, like I cut his IQ in half, you got me. <laughs> You're half of Peterson's brain. Let's I have a very room temperature IQ. Room temperature yeah, IQ? Very room temperature IQ, uh, very okay. comfortable. Well, I have wanted you on for a while. I'm glad we're finally doing this. And before, you know, normally when I start an interview, I kind of ask people their background, a little, little framing of the interview. But I thought first what we're gonna do is we're just gonna throw to this video that you just put up on Instagram. This is you going to, this is outside of the impeachment hearings? Yes. Outside of the impeachment hearings, you're asking questions about politics and Trump and impeachment all through the lens of a little movie called Star Wars. Here we go. Hey everyone, Benny Johnson here at the United States Capitol, where the impeachment trial of President Trump is ongoing. The Capitol has tens of leftist protesters gathered at it, calling for the impeachment of President Trump. Specifically, we're asking them if Star Wars references about President Trump are worthy of having him be impeached. I am the Senate. We're going to see if these leftist protesters believe that the president should be impeached, for instance, of killing a fictional general, General Grievous. Hello there. General Kenobi. I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Let's go find out. Many people felt a disturbance in the force when General Grievous was killed. <laughs> what do you think about the killing of General Grievous and why, you know, was it right or wrong? Okay. Uh, nobody's saying uh, that uh, he was a good person. But there are bad, a lot of bad, bad people in, uh, in the world. Uh, and uh, uh, we have laws. Everything what we do with our military should be according to law. I love democracy. With new X-Wing technology, though, there's no, there's no telling what we can accomplish. I mean, you can get anyone anywhere. Yes, yes, absolutely. Use the force, Luke. Uh, do you think that it was right or not right to kill General Grievous? Well, it was, it was clearly an assassination. Oh, I don't think so. People are saying that a thermal detonator was used for the assassination, and these are very dangerous weapons. Do you have anything to say on that? You seem to care a lot about this. Technically, I, I can't tell you. Uh, I'm not sure about that yet. Because he's holding a thermal detonator. This is just like the kind of music that was being sang at Moss Eisley Cantina. It's beautiful. And General Grievous was killed by the administration, by Trump. They were saying that was illegal. Do you, do you believe in those kind of killings or do you not? We have a rule of law. If that rule of law says, if I think you're a bad guy, then I should be able to kill you, right? That's not our rule of law. I killed them. I killed them all. 
Our rule of law is if I think you're a bad guy, I'm supposed to take you to trial and prove that you are a bad guy. That is our rule of law in the United States of America. You can't. He must stand trial. Apparently he was killed with a thermal detonator. This is like a lot of concerning to a lot of people. Yep. And uh, the rule of law, either we have it and we need to live by it, both the uh, citizens and our government, or we don't and we don't give a crap one way or the other. My lord, is that legal? I will make it legal. All right, so that's just a small portion of this video that you put out there, and I think now my audience understands why I wanted to throw that before we do anything else here. <laughs> now, that one gentleman at the end did make a good point. Should we not have taken General Grievous in and put him on trial? I mean, he was the leader of the Separatist yeah. Army. He had just taken over from yeah. Count, du Count Dooku, who's a horrible yeah. human being. It's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's true. I, I, uh, it, it, who knows? I mean, you, if it was the Obama administration, definitely would have taken him out with a drone, would have yeah. never seen it happening. You know, he could have even been an American citizen. Would have been, boom, General Grievous, gone. When you do these videos, because I know most people watching them are going, oh, come on, he must have had to go to a thousand different people to get the five, ten guys. First five. Guys, first first five. five people. Not a single, I kept General asking about Grievous. General Grievous. And I, you can see in the video, I keep like pushing him like, people felt a disturbance in the force. It's, it's very much a dark side to have this technology yeah. with a thermal detonator and X-wing technology to kill this general. No one, nothing. I even say later in the video that mm. Trump should just execute an order 66 and yeah. dissolve the Senate <laughs> and then he can just get rid of this impeachment fiasco. What does this tell you Nobody about these it. people? Before we get to the Star Wars element <laughs> of it and why Star Wars memes really do yeah. work, yeah. What does this tell you about a lot of the activists that are out there and people that are, you know, purporting to know everything about politics? I'm not even talking about these five people specifically, them, but these people that are just out there sure. protesting all the time. Sure. And then whenever you see them challenge, you know, Crowder's really good at this, they just suddenly know, know nothing. Yeah. So the purpose of a video like this is never to actually make fun of anyone. What I'm trying to do is to show that there is a bankruptcy when it comes to the understanding of why we are impeaching this president. Why do are these people actually out there protesting? Every person in the video was protesting for Trump's impeachment. Yet even when asked if they should impeach Trump for killing General Grievous, yeah. <laughs> which was my question, should we impeach Trump for killing a fictional Star Wars villain? Yeah. They said, yeah. And so what I am doing, and what I do on a professional basis every day, is I take <clears throat> the meme culture world, the meme world, prequel memes, Star Wars memes, I mean some of the best memes out there are Star Wars memes, and you apply that to politics, and you are able to get an intersectional point where you can get a young kid or some young person who might know Star Wars but doesn't quite understand what's going on with impeachment, and you can frame it, the world for them, based on Star Wars and actually bring them into the political process, which is very important. So what is it about Star Wars? Because I meme the hell out of Star Wars probably only second to you, right? And there's something particularly about the prequels that yeah. the memes just, you know, how does uh, democracy die with thunderous applause and I am the Senate and all of those lines, they seem so powerful right now. And it's like, what, what do you think it is about Star Wars specifically that leads to this? Where other movies, you can meme some things from other mm -hmm. movies, but not like the endless amount from Star Wars that just feels right for the moment all the time. Mm -hmm. Star Wars was, if you go, if you rewind the clock back to George Lucas, he based the empire on Nazis 
and he based the rebellion on fighting Nazis. Mm -hmm. And so for people like us particularly, you were able to find these moral threads that you can pull out of the basic Star Wars story. The evil of oppressive, overarching, brutalist government, uh, how it tries to squash hope, how hope must rise in order to fight that greatest evil, which is an oppressive, overarching, massive, usually by emergency right. powers, government emergency powers, that can yeah. take over all of our lives. And that is the, the, the truth that this was based on. And I think it hits at a human truth, uh, truth that goes all the way back to our founding and much of the, the Renaissance good that comes from the idea that man is man and man wants freedom and man has liberties that should not be corrupted and oppressed by a government. Well, it's funny because even though you're doing it in a funny way there, we could talk about the idea that should the Jedi have captured Grievous, he was the leader of the Separatist army, right? So he was an insurgent, but should they have been allowed to just kill him as, as Obi-Wan did, or should they have captured him and taken him in for trial? That actually is an interesting philosophical point that we yeah. debate all the time because th that's to your point, that when we killed Soleimani, everyone was saying, well, you can't just kill the guy, you have to bring him in for a trial or the rest of it. That, I mean, that really all does add up to why memes work. Yes, correct. Memes are a piece of non-corporate, non-establishment media imagery that reflects a moment in culture and reflects something that we're all going through and explains it in a very simple and shareable way. This episode of The Rubin Report comes to you with support from our friends over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. In the Second Amendment, the Founding Fathers guaranteed an individual the right to protect themselves. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, or BCM for short, builds a professional grade product which is built to combat standards. This is because BCM believes that the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless if they're a private citizen or or a professional. Bravo Company Manufacturing is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. BCM assumes that when a rifle leaves their shop, it'll be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas, so quality is of utmost value to them. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand-assembled and tested by Americans in Heartland, Wisconsin, to a life-saving standard. BCM has always put people before products. They build their products because they feel it's their moral responsibility as Americans to provide tools that will not fail the end user when it's not just a paper target, but someone coming to do them harm. Because of this, BCM knows that making reliable life-saving tools is only half the story. They also work with leading instructors of marksmanship from top levels of America's special operations forces. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news that's bravocompanymfg.com. Need more convincing? Find out even more about BCM and the awesome people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. And now back to the show. All right, well, I'm pretty sure we could do the Star Wars thing the entire way. Uh, so let's, let's just do a little bit more, though, in case there's anyone out there watching this that doesn't have the appreciation of the Star Wars meme uh, meeting point that we do. Uh, you mentioned something really interesting to me right before we started about how the way the Star Wars movies have progressed or regressed, I suppose, which depending on which way you look at it, is, is really reflective of internet culture in general. Can you yes. talk about that? Because I think it's really super interesting. We as consumers of the product have more value than we have ever had 
in the history of the creation of a thing. So you've democratized the consumer base for things like Star Wars. And Star Wars, the fandom, Menace, has actually saved Star Wars the from itself. The fandom menace, I got it. The yeah. fandom menace is yeah. a real thing. And we can, the feedback mechanisms are now available in a decentralized universe where the studios have to listen to the consumers and where we are able to online demand something or ask for something or consume at a rate where it's a feedback loop instead of them just making a Star Wars and hoping we like it. Mm -hmm. They make a Star Wars and then we tell them if we like it, right? You can hear what happened after The Last Jedi. And the studio heard it. Yeah. And then desperately JJ comes in to try to like fix it. And there are four to five different moments in The Rise of Skywalker where they papered over yeah. what Rianne did and that's because of the response online. And so this mechanism can actually make you more powerful than studios producing these things. And the general, I love democracy, the democracy of the fandom is actually a wonderful thing. Palpatine would be very proud. He, <laughs> Palpatine would be thrilled at internet <laughs> trolls, basically. It's really interesting, though. I mean, that concept is actually kind of cool because you know studios come out with, with certain things that often are not good. And I think the best, the best version of this in terms of internet culture is the, the all-female Ghostbusters. It had nothing to do with yes. it all being women, but yes. it was a patently terrible movie. Yes. And then the audience goes crazy, and then you get the next layer of this, which I want to talk to you about, which is suddenly the media that runs protection for bad movies, right? Yes. And then starts attacking the audiences, and that's what happened in Ghostbusters. We saw that happen in Last Jedi, too, where yeah. they say it's, it's all angry white male trolls who hate Last Jedi or hate Ghostbusters, and it's racist Trump supporters who hate these things, and it's the media then attacking the fan base at, I don't know, is it at the behest of the studio, or is it just because the whole machine just kind of works like that, or what? I think it has everything to do with what's going on in society right now. I cover politics, but the election in 2016 was precisely this bubble. The same thing that happens with a Star Wars movie or Ghostbuster happened in 2016, where you have a group of people that are so insulated in their own virtue signaling and woke-tivism and slacktivism, and they must insert that into everything in their lives, and it blinds them to understanding what an actual normal consumer wants. And so then you have the rise of something, a, a real anger, that the things that we cherish are being destroyed, and one of the last few good things out there was Star Wars. And from both sides, you have this kind of yelp, this anger, from the base when we watched The Last Jedi and realized that it's now just a serving dish for someone's political worldview mm -hmm. and you must eat it. And it's like, damn it, no. I mean, the orcs are not just at the gate. They've like come in and they've desecrated the <laughs> temple. One of the last few things that we actually all could come together on was that we all kind of loved Star Wars and then that's destroyed and you're gonna get backlash. This happened in 2016, you got the election of President Trump, and this is happening now when it comes to our entire culture, whether that be Star Wars or Ghostbuster or national politics. What do you think about the idea that because big studios now run so much of our entertainment, that that also has fed all of this? Like, the Star Wars posters look exactly like the Marvel posters. Right. You know what I mean? It's always right. the same thing. The big guy in the middle, it's Iron Man in the middle, right. or Ray in the middle, and then everybody else smaller after, and they look exactly the same. Like, the branding is the yes. same. The messages start becoming the same, that we don't yeah. have 
new stories anymore. And I, right. and I said to you right before we started, I hate to say that in a way, because yeah. it's like, I want these stories to continue, and Mandalorian was totally fine, and like, I want more out of this, but it's also like, we need something different. Like, the world has moved on from George Lucas having to look at World War II to then create these characters, you know? Yeah, and that is something that I think people are very much hungering for on a national level. And you're watching now people running for, speaking of new stories, I mean, look at the number of people who've never been in politics that are now running and winning and becoming very, very famous. I don't not like all great, not all AOC, great, yeah. uh, right? I don't yeah, yeah. like AOC and the squad. Yeah. I, I think they're going to wreck the country if you give them power. But, but listen, they have become heroes now because there's a new story, there's a new narrative out there. And of course, the opposite of that would be, uh, you know, multiple people who have never had any experience on the conservative side of the aisle running for office and following a Trumpian model mm -hmm. of I am the outsider. And these new stories, the, the idea that there's a new story out there really gravitates, it really brings people in. And again, you have a president who's pretty much our version of that elected outside of the, elected outside of the media bubble outside of the groupthink that occurs, inside of the Acela Corridor between DC and New York, and the groupthink said, every, like every Marvel poster looked like, every poll looked exactly mm -hmm. the same in 2016. Every poll, Hillary Clinton, nine, remember the Huffington Post? 98% yep. chance yep. Hillary yep. will win, right? Take it to the bank, you've seen the same compilations I have. And yep. so it's like every poster looks the same and people start rejecting it and wanting a new story. And now you have, Arguably, I mean, very easily, the most powerful man in the world, the president of the United States, has been elected because people were so desperate and hungry for a new story and not and rejecting the same stuff that's been forced on us for decades. All right, so before we go too far into the in Trump thing and I want to talk impeachment and how this is all related yeah. to media and all that, now let's go to where I usually start the interviews, which is how, how the hell did you get into this whole thing? Yeah. <laughs> like what brought Benny Johnson to sit here right now and talk to me about Star Wars? I was raised in Iowa. And I was a magical place where you can really see candidates up close. You get to one of the things that we force all, every candidate who wants to be president to do is eat pork chop on a stick. You want to dehumanize someone. Yeah. I mean, you really want to break them down <laughs> to their core <laughs> elements, right? Like force someone like Hillary Clinton to eat a pork chop on a stick and a 120 degree humid day in the middle of the Iowa Remember State Remember that Fair. picture of Michelle Bachman eating the, <laughs> the corn dog and, yes. and Romney trying it? Like Romney was one of the worst ones. No one looks good eating a corn dog. Yeah. No one looks good eating a sweaty pork chop on a stick. Yeah. Did you grow up going to those fairs and, yes. and going to the straw yes. bowls and the rest of it? Yeah. So you got to see the real human being behind the politician. You got to see like little quirks little things of them, like they would take, as a young guy in politics, I was just in student government at my college and at my high school, you would get taken out to Subway by a Mitt Romney, right? Mm -hmm. He would take you out to Subway. You get to watch the man eat his Subway sandwich. You get to see the, the human side of the politician and it was something that was always lacking because they always came off as such a stiff veneer, mm -hmm. right? When you see him on stage. And so I began to, really gravitate towards telling stories differently for the political class and inside of the political bubble. And that began a career in making viral content about politics. Uh, I've done this for now over a decade, and I've always wanted to bring uh, and mesh the worlds that 
uh, a lot of young people understand, which is the cultural world, and mesh that in with politics so that people understand the political world around them because, quite frankly, that's the most important thing you can understand as an American. So as an Iowa guy, yeah. um, is it shocking or strange or backwards or is it the way it's supposed to be that in just a few weeks, this straw poll, which <laughs> seems so antiquated and ridiculous yeah. in so many ways, is the thing that is going to set the next eight months in motion, really. You know, right. we're just in the lead up. We're in preseason right. right now still, even though it all feels crazy. But the straw poll starts this whole thing and right. someone could get momentum out of nowhere. And, you know, if Biden does really bad, he's no longer the front runner and the rest of it. Does that seem crazy to you as someone that grew up in Iowa? Hey, Ruben Report podcast listeners, just a quick reminder that my first book, Don't Burn This Book, Free Thinking in an Age of Unreason, is now available for pre-order. In it, I show you guys how to navigate a world of outrage mobs, political polarization, and online censorship without totally losing your mind. Oh, and that Jordan Peterson guy is writing the forward, not bad. Pre-order your copy now on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, or go to don'tburnthisbook.com and order yours today. It's, it's like the various gladiator feats of strength, okay, to, yeah. like, to, to get there. Federalism. I mean, it's one of the last cherished things of federalism is that you, every state is different. And the way that this was supposed to work is every state was supposed to be their own actual governance. Mm -hmm. And it, the states wouldn't have even you know, come together and signed the Constitution if we didn't write as a libertarian, you know this, very firm grounds of federalism mm -hmm. that each state was unique. Iowa's- Which we're washing away very quickly. Very quickly, horrifyingly, yeah. horrifyingly so. Iowa, you're gonna have to go eat pork chop on a stick and appeal to Iowans to get mm -hmm. the Iowan vote. New Hampshire, you're gonna have to go and um, what do they do in New Hampshire? Tap a maple, maple tree? get like the special uh, ski slope, maple tree, like vote. Yeah. I, I don't, what, New Hampshire, I'm not from there. I don't know much about it. Right, to be like clear, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not condemning Iowa in any way. Yeah. As much as like the process, like it's always the same order every year. Like it almost seems like we have to mix up the order, like because then it all just becomes so uh, entrenched yeah. that the fakery is is too obvious or something like that. Uh, I, I don't know much about why the process is what it is. I know that everyone. I don't think votes. anyone knows at this point. Yeah, you know. But it is special that you have to go and you have to earn the vote of a specific group of people living in a specific state and appeal to them. And I, I love that process. I yeah. think it's great. Yeah. Um, you want to make a crazy prediction out of Iowa? I Bernie. I was going to ask you some predictions at the end. Yeah. So you, really, Bernie. So are you feeling this thing right now? Because there does seem to be like a, a certain momentum. For, for Bernie right now, like that the mainstream media has really tried to take him out. Now again, I know you and yeah. I were not fans of his ideas, let's say, but the mainstream media has just been going after the guy relentlessly and Warren yeah. tried some stuff and you know, women aren't gonna be elected and the rest yeah. of it. But do you feel like he's just got this thing whether the DNC wants it to happen or not? Yeah, and Joe Rogan, one of your colleague, you know, one of the people who are so so special in this, in this decentralized media industry kind of said it the best, which is, the guy's just been a communist his whole life, and he's just told everyone about his communism forever, and that sort of authenticity is really valuable now. Authenticity is the currency of the internet. People know if you're being fake, and people know if you're putting on a show. And when someone like Bernie, who's just an old, crusty communist, who has just been an old, crusty communist his entire life, mm -hmm. honeymooned in the Soviet Union, let's not forget, when he comes into an age that's internet-centric, 
then his authenticity really shines through and people really have really gravitate to that. It's the same thing that brought a lot of people over to Trump. And it's this thing that is really, I think, driving the boom right now for Bernie uh, that is putting him now up ahead double digits in New Hampshire, uh, up ahead almost double digits in Iowa. I think that that, like, I am the same guy that I've always been is something that is more attractive now than ever. Well, that's the funny thing about the Rogan endorsement. It's like just saying that someone hasn't changed isn't in and of itself so great, but I get you, there's a, there's a consistency there, I suppose, that people like, but you may have all the wrong ideas within that. Yes, but authenticity, I mean, people will gravitate towards something authentic more than ever today, and it's because we've been trained to do this based on uh, what we like on social media, the authenticity that we see into people's lives, and we now have access into everyone's life. People can figure out what Dave Rubin likes. These people can follow you on social media and see the things about see what I your, hate. Yeah, and see what you love and what you hate, and they can tell if you're an authentic person. And we are now demanding that inside of our politicians, and like it or not, that's part of the reason why people just adore the president of the United States right now is because there's no lying with him. You're going to hear his unvarnished opinions, regardless of whether you love them or not. You're going to see directly inside of his brain what's going on, and you're going to find that out through his social media and through Twitter. And that's what endears so many Americans to that. We've been trained to want that. All right, so how the hell does Trump understand all this stuff? I've asked a million guests this. Everyone has their own theory. But how Mm -hmm. does Trump get the meme wars, the edge lords, the trolls, the Russians, the, the whole damn thing. How does Trump get it? I think you have a little insight maybe into what he's thinking or you've been around him enough and, and the, the turning point world. Trump has always been a creature of the media. He's always very much understood media. And every era that he's lived in from the 70s, 80s, 90s to today, he's understood media and how people consume information. Where is the audience? And he's always understood audience. Now, you have to ask yourself, if you're talking about the modern media landscape, what is a media company? A media company is where the audience is. And Trump has very elegantly navigated to the place where the audience is every single iteration of his career. And it's been very, very special to watch how the guy at 70 years old has just mastered the meme wars and just mastered the art of social media. And a new generation of kids, that's where they are. That's where they're getting their information. Do you think the world was just waiting for someone like him? Like it didn't actually have to be him, but that because of everything you're talking about and the way that things have changed and we've watched mainstream media crumble and the internet rise and all that, that it was gonna be somebody to do this reckoning and he just happened to be the guy? Or do you think that that really is unique about him, the way he, the lens that he views the world because of the way he survived media over decades and all that? Yeah, I think we're living in the golden age of memes and politics and Trump has brought that about. And the world was waiting for someone to create the dyad in the force that was the president. I'm going to see how many more Star Wars movies you can force in here. We'll see. Force in here. Uh, I love what you just did there, Dave. The world was waiting for the, the internet president, right? The president who fully understood the internet and brought it with him to the White House. And Barack Obama bringing in YouTube celebrities, that's one thing. But Barack Obama was not the internet president. Not at all. 
the internet president is Donald Trump, who hosts the social media summit at the White House. Uh, I had the honor of being invited to it, and you walk into the foyer of the White House. I mean, famous, it's been all Hollywood movies, it's you know from the time of Lincoln, and there are huge memes printed out on boards, hanging in the grand foyer of the White House, <laughs> Dave. Like, this is, this is the world I've been begging for my entire career. You walk around, you look, there's a meme, uh -huh. and there's a Game of Thrones meme, and it, it, they're all there, like, hanging inside of the most sacred house in America, right? The most cherished and valuable piece of real estate in the country is the White House. One of the most recognizable places on planet Earth is the White House, and here are memes hanging inside of the grand foyer of the White House. Yeah. This is actually the internet president. I think it's really fundamental that Trump gets audience. He understands where an audience is. And right now, today, there has been a dynamic shift in where people actually are and where people are are platforms and where they want to get their information are platforms and from influencers. And Trump is the biggest influencer out there. So the last time that we actually saw each other in person was at the Turning Point Student Action Summit uh, about a week before Christmas, a couple yeah. days before Christmas. I spoke that morning. You, you, you were sort of the MC of the whole thing, right? You're shooting T-shirts into the crowd and you're getting everybody going. And, but, but you didn't warm up the crowd for me that morning. Well, well, I don't know what you were doing that Saturday morning. I wasn't going to bring this up. I don't know what happened. I did okay. That's not even the point. <laughs> I did just fine. The point is that I spoke in the morning and then, and then Trump spoke later in the afternoon. And, it was, and then... When he spoke, it was the first time that I ever, ever heard him speak live. And, yeah. and it did help crystallize one thing for me, which is how the media takes an hour and a half speech that he gives and how they really extrapolate whatever they want out of it. Because there's a moment that I'm sure you remember where Trump gets up there and he goes, he goes, I know more about windmills than anybody. I've been studying windmills my whole life. And then he goes on this riff about windmills. Now, obviously, he doesn't know more about windmills than everybody. Obviously, he's not studying windmills. But he makes some interesting points about how they build windmills and all of this other stuff. But then I saw it happen. So he does the speech, and he's sort of basically like a comic, and he's working the room, and he kind of goes off script and then comes back. But then it was the next part, and this is where I really, it all kind of crystallized for me was then later that afternoon, what do I see? Of course, Vox, Media Matters, the rest of it, with all of their headlines, Donald Trump claims he knows more about windmills than anybody. Donald Trump claims he's studied windmills his whole life. And it's like, did he say that? He did. Is that in context? No. Do you understand sarcasm? No. Yes. And it's like, when you, when you really see it that way, it did shift the whole thing for me, to actually be there and then see the headlines. Hey guys, just a quick reminder that the Rubin Report community is officially here. This is the first project of my new tech company, Locals.com, and you can get ad-free video, ad-free audio podcast. You can communicate with me. You can communicate with other fans. We've got a news feed that has no algorithmic manipulation. There's no shadow banning or de-boosting or the rest of it. We're gonna be building out these communities for all sorts of creators over the next coming months. But right now you can sign up at rubinreport.com or you can download the Rubin Report app in the Apple App Store or on Google Play. Yes, there is such a thing as sarcasm, humor still in the world. It's not literate, it's not Literal, literal, right? Well, often not like, literate. Often not literate. both, actually. Yeah. But a good meme is something that takes it, that is funny, that uses humor, or uses pop culture to connote a greater truth about the world around us. And Donald Trump speaks in memes. 
That's what a lot of people I don't think understand, yeah. is that this era was actually made for him. When Donald Trump looks Hillary Clinton in the eye and goes, because you'd be in jail, that's like an impact font meme. That was a meme, right? Like that was one of the most memorable, maybe perhaps the most memorable, if you play it on a big screen to an audience, mm -hmm. which I do regularly, the most memorable moment in 2016, and that was Trump just speaking in a meme. Short sentences, understandable dialogue, joke, right, sarcasm, but hitting a deeper truth, and that's the way the president speaks. And the hyper-literal, perpetually wanting to be offended, corporate media that exists today, they don't, they don't get them, but at their peril. Because Trump is speaking the way that the internet speaks, and the way that consumers speak, and the way that the audiences of the future speak. And the audiences of the future want to get their information from memes. I give this speech around the country. Tens of thousands of students around the country I speak to every single year. And it's a huge privilege of mine to do that, but I ask them with regularity, where would you prefer to get your information? Raise your hand if you want to get your information from a meme. Mm -hmm. If you would prefer it in that form. And thousands of hands go, I'm telling you, Dave, thousands of hands go up from the students. I take a cell phone out of my pocket. I do this thought, pro this thought test all the time. Take a cell phone out of my pocket, put it on the table, and I say, this cell phone is yours. It's free. You can get it free of charge, one rule, locked, coded in to the actual iPhone, brand new, is that you can only download one app to get your news and information from. What app do you download? I ask kids this, doesn't matter if it's 50 kids in a small room or 500 kids or 5,000 kids, it's always the same. I'm guessing the answer is Twitter, right? Don't tell me it's TikTok and I'm gonna jump in, we don't have Windows <laughs> in here, but I'm gonna jump. It's a mix. A lot of Instagrams, mm -hmm. I would say probably eight out of 10 is mm -hmm. an Instagram. That's now, interesting. Again, these are school-aged yeah. kids. Yeah. These are school-aged kids. Eight out of 10 is an Instagram. You always have your outliers who will say Reddit, maybe, you know, very rarely, but Facebook, you get YouTube, a lot of YouTubes, mm -hmm. um, and uh, some Twitters. It kind of depends on the diet of the students. Sure. Here's something that never, ever, ever is said, ever, MSNBC. Yeah. CNN. Well, CNN, when I give a speech to college kids, CNN, sometimes I say something about CNN not to be funny. I'm like, well, yeah. you know, CNN is one channel, and, and they laugh when I say CNN yeah. as if that's the punchline, because <laughs> it's so absurd to them, you know? I don't think it's even partisan, Dave. I, they, they don't say Fox News either. They want to get their information from, and I'm just gonna be complimentary here, you, from a decentralized, non-corporate influencer who's going to bring them the information that they trust you, they trust guys like me, they trust influencers, they want, we are the new nightly news anchors. The, yeah, our memes are our new news program, right? And the new broadcast network are these platforms that they can follow us on and see more of a dimensionality of, of, of us and the world around them, and that's how they prefer to get their information. Isn't it amazing? So obviously I, I agree with you in the broad sense there. It's like all the mainstream media then had to do was sort of incorporate some of us and instead of trying to destroy all of us, which is what they chose to do instead, right? They decided to say we're all bigots and racists and all, yeah. all the rest of it and, and try to crush our jobs and crush our reach yeah. on top of big tech and everything else. But all they had to do was yeah. bring on a couple guys. ABC, all they probably had to do, or forget ABC, CNN, yeah. you know, six years ago, your phone could have rang and they could have been like, can you be the guy that takes us into the, yeah. the new thing, Benny? Yeah. And, and then maybe they wouldn't be in this situation and yet, that tells you about the archaic nature of the machine. 
there's an industry story about Blockbuster's valuation and Netflix's uh-huh. valuation. You've seen the same chart that I've yeah. seen. Blockbuster could have buried Netflix for a decade of Netflix's existence, mm-hmm. but instead they chose to laugh at them, and they said, "We're we're Blockbuster. This You're gonna mail those happen. things to these people, right? This will no one ever wants a DVD in the mail. This is not a problem." And now we are looking at 2020, and Netflix is winning uh, Golden Globes and may win Oscars this year, right? And, and ne- isn't there one blockbuster? There's one is left it, in Alaska. It's yeah. in Alaska? Yes. Is, is that right? Yes. That's why. And there's this, there's this inflection point where the industry, where your industry gets overtaken and people no longer need gas lanterns. They have Are you light worried bulbs. about that though? Does any level of that worry you? So, something that has been interesting about the demasking of corporate media, specifically on places like, places like CNN, is that you're able to see in the era of Trump who they always were. You're able to see like a viral clip that's going around right now is this clip of Don Lamont. We're, we're gonna we're gonna play the clip. All right, so you know why don't we play this clip? First? Yeah, sure. So I, I met, this clip is from about a week ago. I mentioned this when I had Michael Malice on last week. We did a little dissection, but I think it would be great to get your dissection yeah. too. So this is this is Don Lemon's CNN program. And it, obviously it's false. And look, he also knows deep in his heart that Donald Trump couldn't find Ukraine on a map if you had the letter U and a picture of an actual physical crane <laughs> next to it. He knows that this is, you know, an, an administration defined by ignorance of the world. And so that's partly him playing to their base and playing to their audience, uh, you know, the, the, the credulous boomer rube demo that backs Donald Trump um, that, that wants to think that... <laughs> That, that Donald Trump's a smart one in there. Oh, y'all, y'all, y'all elitists are dumb. <laughs> you, you elitists with your geography and your maps and your spelling, even though my your math and your reading. Yeah, your reading, you know, your geography, knowing other countries, sipping your latte. <laughs> All those lines on the map. <laughs> Only them elitists know where Ukraine is. Sorry, I apologize. But by, but by the way, oh my god! But, but, but you know what? But, but it was Rick's fault. I blame Rick. Oh but, you know, but, but in all honesty, but all, blame you know what Rick. NPR should do? Why not? Sorry, hold on. You, wait, wait. Can yeah, I tell give you? Give me what, a second. You, hold on, hold on, hold on. Sorry. <laughs> that was good. Sorry, Rick. You, that you, was a good one. I needed that. It's so deeply fake. The laughter is fake. Nobody's laughing that hard at that joke. The banter is fake. The whole damn thing, fake. Right. News. So someone said fake news somewhere at one point. What? Fake news. So why should you be? Why should you be? That rightfully makes a lot of people angry. That clip. But why you should be encouraged by that clip actually is that it happened a week before it really went viral. Mm-hmm. So few people were watching. Don Lamont's show <laughs> that no one even noticed. Yeah. They were just screaming into the abyss. They were screaming into the woods. The, the tree fell and no one heard it. And I know for a fact, I know for a fact, because I can pull the Nielsen ratings, that good videos that we make at Turning Point get more viewers yeah. than CNN's entire nightly lineup. This show, yeah. Dave Rubin's show, yeah. gets more viewers per video than many headline news shows on CNN. You, a, a, a good video with you and Shapiro and Peterson will get more viewers than CNN's entire ratings the whole week. For a month, probably. Yes, I mean, correct. In, in some cases, yeah. And so what is, what is this inflection point? It's really special. It shows the one thing 
that is so important in media is audience. Where is your audience? Who has it? And where is the audience going? And the fact that that can happen and no one even knows that it's happening because so few people are watching this news show, let's remember, it's make you sick to your stomach, that's a news show. Yeah. That's listed as a, that's in the uh, CNN apparently. news lineup, yeah. Don Lamont's show. Yeah. Uh, I, I know you don't say it Don Lamont, yeah. but it, it's, but it's it okay. makes him angry, so it's funny to yeah. say. Uh, that's how depressing it is, and if you're, if you're looking, young people are not watching that. People that are, the clip would have gone viral instantly if people had actually been watching the show. But what do you make of the, the cognitive dissonance of these people? The same people who said the deplorables, thus thrusting Trump to victory, yeah. are now doing that, making fun of people's accents, making fun of people's education, all of those things. Yeah. When it's like, what? let's say these people are, let's pretend for a moment that they're less educated and that's why they're voting for Trump. Aren't you supposed to be a good lefty who would want to help educate these people? I mean, yeah. the, the smugness of it is, I think, the most, you know, I get the media side yeah. of it, but it's the detachment from what they purport to believe yeah. politically or philosophically that I find more disturbing. So that's going back to authenticity being the, concern, the, the currency of the Internet. People want to know where their information is coming from. I am a conservative. You are a libertarian. People understand that who are tuning into this show. And that's okay. The demasking is showing clips like that, where they are now unvarnished, presenting themselves as the leftist propagandists that they actually are. And that veneer of objectivity has been utterly destroyed. The, the, car, the, the, the carpet has been rent, the, the, the curtain has been mm -hmm. ripped. There is no much, such thing as objectivity anymore, and that's okay as long as you're prepared for the new thing coming which is this, which is understanding that Dave Rubin is a libertarian and he's gonna come at it from a libertarian point of view. That's okay. Yeah, and, and, you know, and you're also gonna watch us work through it in real time, Yes, which is one of the things. It's why I do the events that I always do at Turning Point where I go up there and I always make a point of saying, guys, I'm gonna say a few things that I know most of you disagree with. And not only do I get invited back, but if anything, I think that's why I'm getting invited in the first place. Yes, and you're one of the most popular speakers. And maybe 40% maybe of your speech is not necessarily the exact thing that the audience believes. That's okay, they well, love half, you. Half of my speech last time was about Star Wars because it had just come out. <laughs> the funny thing is I ended up, I didn't want to lead too much, remember? So I was like, I wasn't talking too much about Star Wars. <laughs> then we do Q&A and I always say to the kids, I'm kids, students, whatever, I always say, if you disagree with me, come up first. Yeah. And yet all the questions were about Star Wars. And I, I was like, wait a minute guys, let me get this straight. I give a political speech. The President of the United States is speaking here in an hour and you're asking me about Star Wars. And everyone was like, I'm going crazy. <laughs> This is why you gotta ask questions about General Grievous, right? This is why you have to use Star Wars, use the billions that have been put in to tell the Star Wars story, to tell a story about politics, about the things that are going on in the world today. And the people that really understand that are the people that understand where audience is going. And this is where audience is going. Whether they can, they can laugh, they can laugh and they can be Nero and, and, and strum, right, the harp while mm -hmm. Rome burns, which is what I get when yeah. I watch a clip like that. When I watch a clip like that, I think about Rome burning and about Nero playing his harp. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just them laughing and cackling, being the last little elitists on their little pedestals as their ratings are crumbling, yeah. as their advertising dollars are going through the floor, and as people are tuning out in record numbers, uh, and as they're being beclowned, quite literally, on a daily basis, uh, that is 
that is Rome burning. Do, do you ever think when one of these clips is going viral, and again, I think you made a really interesting point that this existed for a while before it went viral, which shows you that no one is really watching this stuff, mm -hmm. but do you ever think, ah, maybe we should just let it be and I shouldn't jump in on it on every clip? Because sometimes I feel that. Because you, know, you see these things happening on Twitter and you see everyone kind of mm -hmm. doing their thing mm -hmm. and making it bigger. And then there's this other part of me that's like, you know what, if, if we all just started ignoring all of this, that we could really be maybe better focused on whatever it is that we individually are trying to build rather than taking that thing down. Mm -hmm. Do you think about that ever? Well, you brought it up that you're attacked. They call you a racist or a Nazi for being on something other than a, a, a corporate media platform, right? Instead of inviting us in and, our, and having to do the hard thing, which is diversity of opinion mm -hmm. and actually lean in to diversity of opinion, they do the thing that losers do. Mm -hmm. and I'm not saying that in the sense of like losers, I'm saying that in the source of, these are tactics of, of people that are losing. They're losing their base and they're losing their cultural war and when you see them cackling about Trump supporters and mocking accents and southern accents and things like that, mocking people's careers and jobs, that's the tactic of a loser. That's not the tactic of a winner. Mm -hmm. That's the tactic of a losing side that's attempting to score cheap points on someone who's already defeated them. Right, like who are you bringing over when you're doing that? Does anyone watch that and go, oh, these guys, they really get it? Like I guess, yeah, there's the sliver of the right. base that's in on the joke or something yeah. like that. But do you get anyone, any, anyone that they would want to bring over to them? I am thrilled when liberals slide it right into my DM and talk, and talk about how much they hate me and my content. And this happens, of course, you know this, this happens yeah. on a minute by minute basis. <laughs> but if my content is reaching them, mm -hmm. the Star Wars video pisses off a ton of people, right? You tricked them into thinking General Grievous was, yeah. he was killed in Iran. Yeah. You also <laughs> piss off the Star, you're ruining yeah, Grievous' of, good of name. Of course, yeah. like everyone yeah, knows reasons, you know. Thermal detonator wasn't used to kill General Grievous, yeah, right? Insane. Like, what are you thinking? Yeah. If you can, if, if I can just bring you into the conversation, if I can just, just bring you into the conversation and we can start that dialogue, that's a huge success for me. So as a conservative and a, and a relatively young conservative, are you kind of shocked? Relatively. <laughs> relatively, I don't know, you wanna say how old you are? I'll I'm leave, 33. I'll leave, I'll leave that up to you, 33. <laughs> I'm pretty, ancient. A pretty, well, but for a conservative, you know what I mean? Yeah. I thought we're, you know, if you listen to MSNBC, conservatives are supposed to be stodgy old yes, white men. Yes. <laughs> um, so as a relatively young conservative though, are you, are you shocked how sort of wide the conservative tent is becoming right now? Yeah. Well, I mean, look at, look at conservative heroes, right? Viral heroes. Let's start off, you have Ben Shapiro. Like, he comes from a very specific and very unique minority worldview, mm -hmm. right? Uh, with Orthodox Judaism. You have Candace Owens mm -hmm. coming from a very specific, very, very, like a worldview that is, uh, almost dyna dy 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 dynamic I, to itself, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, like you, you're not able to mix people like Andy No, who's doing the best reporting on Antifa, Scott Pressler. Mm -hmm. it, the, the young roster of conservative heroes is so diverse. It really is, gives you hope for the future. I work with Charlie Kirk every single day. I know he's been on this show. Yeah. And, it's amazing to think, like, my God, he's 26. So something interesting happened a couple months ago. There started to be this, like, rise of what I would say are, ge are genuinely sort of far-right 
people that were going after Charlie, going mm -hmm. after Turning Point, showed up to my events, mm -hmm. probably showed up to things you were doing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I was super impressed by was the level of fight that I saw people on the right fighting these people. Yeah. Where what I see on the left, and my audience knows how I feel about this already, obviously, that the left, there's nothing too far left, right? Ilhan Omar's not left enough, and Sarsour's not too left, and it's, it's ne you're never too left or bananas to be associated with on that side. Yeah. But the right does set limits. Yes. And I think that was yes. pretty damn impressive, I say by yeah. you guys, because it was a real attack on turning point. Yeah. And it, and it didn't, and you guys fought back, and I, I would say won, and whatever the hell. Shapiro was there to help. I mean, Ben gave, a, ben gave I think, a very Churchillian uh, speech, right, to really, like, break it all down. Charlie did this multiple places. They this, this went was after suddenly, you. It was a sudden group of, like, I would say, yeah. like, real race focused yeah. nationalists, something like I that. I think that's what separates us from the left, though, is having the courage to say, you're not part of our party. We disown you. Right, we disown you, and these views we do not want inside of our tent. Yeah. By the and, way, did you see that? I'm sure you saw it. That Stelter clip on CNN where they show these these like race realists uh, protesting Donald Trump Jr. with Charlie on stage with him. Yeah. They're attacking Trump Jr. Trump Jr. is fighting against the racists. Right, the yeah. guys that are screaming about all this stuff, yeah. and then CNN says Trump Jr. is fighting against the conservatives. Like something. It was something like the real conservatives or something like right. that. They, to imply that real conservatives are racist and that somehow Trump Jr. was sort of the good guy or like, it, it's all so confusing. It's, it's too confusing, but it's very basic in but its it, element, which yeah. is that if you are a racist or if you are an anti-Semite, you have no quarter in my movement. Those are things that I don't play footsie with. And we will disown you. And if those are the things that, if that's your worldview, then that's, not going to be part of the movement that we are creating. It's as simple as that. CNN can try and conflate that, and people can try and conflate that all they want, but it's just, it's just really clear when you lay out the words that are being said and what is being said, it's, it's really stark, but it takes bravery to do a thing like that, and it also takes a little bit of moral courage, and it'd be really exciting to watch that type of a disownment of anti-Semitism and of the views that play footsie with or just openly embrace terrorist regimes and anti-Semitic tropes uh, to happen on the left, to happen on both sides. Isn't this one of the few things we should agree on, Dave? Well, that's why the, the thing that happened with Rogan was so crazy. It's like you've, yeah. got, you've got lefties screaming that Bernie has to disown Joe Rogan, but he doesn't have to disown Linda Sarsour. Yes, he doesn't correct. have to disown Ilhan Omar. Or Rashida Tlaib, who's yeah. out on the campaign trail with him out on the comp campaign trail with him on a regular basis, someone who says the Holocaust gives her a calming feeling. Yeah. This is just shocking that Drogan is the guy who needs to be deep sixed. Yeah, we gotta take Rogan but let's out, all, out of like, this We're crew, all yeah. going to embrace Michael Moore and we're going to, you know, co literally communist Michael Moore, communist AOC, and open anti-Semite Rashida Taleb and Ilhan Omar. Let's, uh, let's shift a little bit to this impeachment thing. Have you heard about this? You heard that something's going down? You know what's funny is that I live in D.C. I've lived in D.C. for 10 years. I made my bones in Washington, and I like being close to my subject matter, right? Yeah. It's very important to understand how these people tick behind the scenes. So I have a very firm pulse on D.C. and Washington and how it works. I, yeah. I pride myself in this. I set myself in You wouldn't know impeachment's going on in Washington. You can sense when something big is happening. Kavanaugh, for instance, this is an example yeah. of the entire city being enraptured 
by a thing that's happening that affects us all. You can't go to a coffee shop and you can't take the Metro without seeing Kavanaugh's face, without hearing about it, without having someone come up and talk to you about it, people yelling in the streets, people screaming on both sides, ripping signs. That's the thing that takes over the entire city. Impeachment, it's like- Nothing. Like like the government took a Xanax. Like everyone's out cold. It feels like the producers. Sort of like it's a show that nobody's going. Yeah. That's not exactly what the producers was, but it's like a show that they wanted to fail that then became a success. Is this going to be a springtime for so, Hitler joke? It, You're trying so to work the springtime I'm for doing, Hitler, I'm, but it, it's not quite the right analogy there. But but you know why? I, I can tell you why you're right because when when I was on tour with Peterson, we were, it was the middle of the Kavanaugh thing. And I, we were doing a Q&A in Ireland and people were asking us about the Kavanaugh thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought, how mm-hmm. bananas is this? Mm-hmm. I'm in Dublin and people can ask Jordan anything they want and they're asking him his thoughts on the Supreme Court justice, the potential Supreme Court justice of the United States. Like that has no bearing on their lives whatsoever. There's a million <laughs> other things that this guy could talk about that would you know, directly affect them. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, I don't think anyone over there is talking about it because nobody's talking, my, my neighbor, I kid you not, I was walking the dog the other day, the neighbor came up to me and he, you know, he knows what I am and what I do. Mm-hmm. And he was like, so how about that impeachment thing? And the way he laughed was like, I don't even know what his political feelings are, but he laughed as if like, like, it's just like you would say it to somebody. It doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but it's like saying, what's the weather like? You know what I mean? Yeah. It was just like, that's it. It's catastrophic. If yeah. you look at the polling, if you look at Democrat voters, they don't care. And the, much less, and if you want to put a bow on this whole thing, what is the what is establishment corporate media been covering nonstop, 24-7, wall-to-wall, since October? Impeachment. They have been making the case and doing their best, many of them propagandists for the DNC, making their best case for impeachment of President Trump. And a guy like me who has a show where I go out into the streets and talk with people, I went out into the streets in Florida, swing state, very political state, and asked people if they had been convinced or if they even knew why the president was being impeached. Mm. And the responses I got in two straight hours of asking probably four or five dozen people was no, I mean, quite frankly, no. They don't, they haven't been convinced. They don't really understand why it's happening. And all of the full force and weight of full establishment media and everything they've built in their entire kingdoms come together to cover one thing and no one cares. And no, it's not getting through. Yeah. And it's not making sense. But you know what does fly? Like a meme on my Instagram <laughs> about how stupid impeachment is right. and, and general grievous. Yeah. Yeah. Is, are you worried, putting aside the reasons that you enjoy the meme wars and everything else, <laughs> I mean, are you worried that even if Trump wins, that the, the stage has been set here, that they'll just try another impeachment after this and they'll just try another? That sort of the, the ship has sailed. Yeah. They've said, this is the route we're going. Yeah. They're saying, you know, now the new thing is he's not going to, he won't leave the presidency, and that's another reason we have to impeach him. He won't leave. Right. I mean, they're the ones that won't accept the last election. Like, there's so many backwards, you know, they usually tell you more about themselves when they're claiming what, what Trump will or won't do. Yeah. Um, but are you worried about that just for the health of the republic? I'm yes. worried about that, actually. That Let's yes. say Trump wins again, which I suspect he will, and uh, that if that happens, that we then just get another four years of this, and we'll ultimately have had six years of just endless nonsense, and then how do you ever get out of that? How do you get out of it? The battle- As I said, I had Michael Nallis on last week. He loves it. He says we should be in that all the time because he likes the, the energy of that. <laughs> but, you, but you, as an as a energy guy, like through the internet, 
Do you, does that worry you? There's no energy there. That's what's crazy about being in Washington, being on the ground, is that there, there really is no energy there. Something happened this last week. Two big things, impeachment and March for Life. March for Life had hundreds of thousands of people at it. The city's a nightmare. The city's catastrophic at the March for Life. Whether Trump speaks or not, Trump spoke. Mm -hmm. Catastrophic, can't get anywhere. I mean, it's, it's easier to find a lifeboat on the Titanic than to try to find an open Uber or to try and get anywhere in the messed up grid that the March for Life, because there's so many people in the city. There were multiple impeachment protests. I covered them. It was legitimately tens of people showing up. I can tell you honestly, I'm not trying to make fun of them. I can tell you honestly, less than 100 people showed up to each of these impeach, pro-impeachment rallies. Yeah, yeah. It is not something that, it's not something that there really is any energy at on that, on that level, on the grassroots level. And polling shows this. Polling shows that Democrat voters are like, just get it over with, just get it over with. Let's move on, this isn't helpful. Do you think the Democrat party uh, survives this thing? I actually think this might be the end of the Democratic Party as we know it, and it's going to split into something else after this. Well, I mean, with your past, you would perhaps know better than me. <laughs> but as someone I, have, has... I have usually been right on what's <laughs> going on with these people. I, I suspect that they cannot survive this thing. This, this will unearth all of the stuff. It will cause the, the more radical socialists to go their mm -hmm. way. And, and the blue dogs are all gone mm -hmm. anyway, but like whatever the decent, whatever, you're a decent liberal, this has nothing to do with mm -hmm. you anymore. So decent liberal, such a great point that you just brought up. Decent liberal. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg, viral clip this week about him dunking, you know, dunking on this pro-life Democrat. Yeah. A lot of Democrats, Catholic, right? You're pro-life if you're Catholic. So this yeah. is at a town More hall, or less. she basically yeah. said, is there room for me yes. in, the, in the party as a pro-life Democrat? And he said, get out. And he's nice about it. Yeah. Pete Buttigieg, nice guy. He said, get out of our party, leave. This is not the tactics of a winning movement. So take a step back and look at tactics of people who win. They can allow diversity. They can allow diversity of thought. They can be open to the world as it is. And they wish to attract more. They wish to bring in more. Like let's, let's create and let's get unique and let's come up with new stories, right? The tactic of a loser is people who have to censor or control speech people who are horrified of new ideas, people that are dogmatic in their belief system politically, and who try to expel the people who offend them. And what parties do those two worldviews represent? And then that's very easy when you crystallize it that way, the which side is the losing side? The losing side right now is wokeivism, activist left who have taken over uh, the host, which is the Democratic Party, uh, to try to push that worldview, and it is really isolating, and you have a presidential candidate who odds on right now, the betting world says Bernie Sanders, <sighs> try and run an actual communist uh, to be to, in America. And you think Trump wants that, though? Like it, it almost seems like that's where we have to get to this thing, like yeah. to really kill this thing. And yeah. I, I did this post on New Year's Day that went pretty viral about how this will be the end year of, of the woke stuff. Yeah. It never gets fully killed, but I think this will be the year that it fundamentally gets crushed enough to change or, yeah. or cause the split in the DNC. But it seems to me that if you get the Trump-Sanders thing, then that we can sort of put, everyone can just put all their cards out on the table at that point, right? Yeah. It's like, it's basically capitalism versus socialism. What yeah. do you want, people? Yeah. And the entire world will, by the way, be voting for Trump because nobody, yes. no sane person in any other country wants America to become socialist. No, 
<laughs> no. Yeah, that's hard to explain to people free in America for some reason. This is why there's an op there's open warfare right now in Bernie. Open yeah. warfare. Democrat establishment are full of people who are investors, who are very wealthy, who have made money off the capitalist system, and they do not want to lose it all. They do not want to give it all away. Have they I told want you my crazy Bloomberg theory? <laughs> yeah, my, my, my crazy Bloomberg theory <laughs> is that Bloomberg is running as an insurance policy to ensure that Trump wins. I know that sounds nuts, but the idea being that if Bernie gets it, Bloomberg runs so that he can get maybe 5% of the decent Democrats, the, the old school liberals, mm -hmm. thus making sure that Bernie loses because for as much as Bloomberg hates Trump, he at least likes capitalism. Yes. I know that sounds nuts. And, and he likes you know, trade with China. He likes and China. he likes that lane being out, that trade lane being open. Yeah, and yeah, Bernie does not. I'll tell you if if Bloomberg does not get the nomination, and if he does not become president, he can still uh, there's still a position open for him that he will be beloved and cherished throughout the land uh, for, and that I think he's perfect for, which is playing. Uh, Baby Yoda in the next, <laughs> the next season of The Mandalorian. He's the perfect size. He'd fit into the costume. All right. And he has like the sensibility. I think he has the sensibility to play Baby Yoda, season two Mandalorian. If you're if you're out there, okay, you Disney. If you're listening, might, Disney. Yeah. Yeah. That I, might be a possibility. He'd be great. He's perfect, a small. He's, he's a small guy. He's so cute. Yeah. Uh, I know nobody likes being in the prediction game, but so I, I you think Trump's just going to run away with this thing, like? Like gangbusters, kind of. Uh, I'm an optimist, right? But I'm also a realist. And you live in D.C. long enough, you get you get, you get real beaten down as a conservative in D.C. Yeah. over the last couple cycles. And then you look at the actual data that is being produced right now from swing states, from the general electorate, and the same things that have always been true are true still today in the sense that people won't vote against a thing that helps them. The American economy is doing better than it's done perhaps in the history of this country. Uh, there is a lot of data to support that. And that certain groups uh, that are typically have a rough go are doing better than they have ever done in the history of this country and that people will not vote against their own interests. And right now, economically, things are just just going gangbusters. And so it just doesn't matter if Trump kills General Grievous uh, with a thermal detonator. <laughs> people are gonna, people are going to, people are going to not vote against their own self-interest. Is there anything in the conservative movement that you're not happy with at the moment? Are the conservatives missing anything? Are they? Uh, yeah coming up short, yeah. where would that be? Or what would that be? There's still a, there's still an, an entrenched establishment in the city that likes communicating uh, in the old way. They still like doing things the old way and very much like media is going through their own inception point and changing drastically. Mm -hmm. There is an establishment, there's an establishment conservative in DC that you read the headlines, Trump is always at odds with, mm -hmm. that like doing things us their own way. That way was controlled decline. And I hate that with my ver the very soul of my being. So when you Jeb, say control decline, that was basically Jeb, McCain, Jeb, Romney. Like McCain, you kind of play by their rules, but you lose everything. We've lost the, 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 the 
the worldview comes from this. We've lost the culture war. We've lost uh, the political landscape war. We've lost the colleges. We've lost the education system. We need to just control the decline of our worldview and, and, and stop the boulder from rolling down the hill on us a little bit. If we can slow it down, it's a huge win, mm-hmm. right? But it's coming for us either way. That's all bullshit. Yeah. That's not true. And culture is something that can be shifted on a paradigm and can move quickly. And if you play it right, and if you speak the language that the new audiences of the world are speaking, then you can control, you can be the person who creates the culture and who really does paradigm shifts. I mean, look at what Kanye is doing right now inside of his industry. Dr. Dre is gonna produce a Christian album with Kanye. You could, I'm, we could do a whole show yeah. on like, well, like all of the dimensions there, yeah. but my God, yeah. that's a paradigm shift. And that's ha- that happened with Trump, where for the first time in, in my lifetime, and I was born in the last years of Reagan, First time in my lifetime, it wasn't about controlled decline for conservatism. It wasn't about giving up and just stopping the boulder from crushing us. It was about, no, we will move the boulder back up the hill. And we can put this boulder back up on the hill and put our enemies, uh, put the, the opposing side on their hindquarters and roll it down on them and make them fight us for territory. And so it's this, it, I know it's a meme, Dave, I, I get it, <laughs> but it literally is winning and losing. I like winners, they're losers. It really is winning and losing. If you come at it from a standpoint where you haven't lost entirely, uh, I love that. And guess what? That's what young people are attracted to. Young people are attracted to people who win. They're attracted to winners. They're attracted to optimism. They're attracted to your show for these exact reasons. And uh, may rest in peace, Kobe Bryant. I mean, the guy was a winner Mm. in so many aspects of his life. And he exuded that optimism and he loved America. I found this old viral clip of him talking about being- I shared it, it's amazing. On Team USA, I mean, it's amazing. He was even asked, this was a couple years ago, he was asked like, is that cool to say America's the best country in the world? It's like, it's cool for me. People are attracted to that, right? And there's thousands, down the, there's thousands of people down, like, down at the Staples Center right now because that attracted people. And for the first time in my life, conservatism kind of has that like that, that winning sensibility with all of our new heroes and with this new Avengers cast of conservatives and the way that we are conquering the internet, we are destroying the left on the internet. We are winning the meme wars. Like, it's not the clone wars. Like, we are winning the, the meme wars. The left can't meme. They cannot meme. <laughs> like, we are winning. We are winning for the first time. It's very, very exciting. And so the people who like controlled losing, I don't like that about modern conservatism. Sorry for the long answer, but like, I really feel passionate about this. Dude, that's how you end an interview. <laughs> no apology necessary. For those of you who are not on Twitter, you might wanna follow at Benny Johnson just for the memes, but you put them up on Instagram and all those other places. Yeah, like, yeah. Where yeah. the kids are yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was fun, we'll have to do this. Maybe we're gonna have to write a new Star Wars story together. Oh my point. God. Is that, is that where this all heads? Yes, yes. I want to... With Bloomberg as Baby Yoda. With Bloomberg... <laughs> with Bloomberg as Baby Yoda. Has anyone done that? I mean, has anyone made that where you put Bloomberg's head on Baby Yoda and done a little video? I mean, here, I'm handing you something. Okay, I, I have to go. I have to go you do that right now. Get the hell out of here. I, that, that's going to be right. That's going to be the next thing I post. That's going right. to be the next meme. All right, we're done. Bloomberg as Baby Yoda. 